So as you guys know, I have two little ones, and they're troublesome sleepers. And I remember about a year ago, I got that classic nudge, right? Do you guys know what I'm talking about, you men out there? That classic nudge when you're sleeping, and you're, real, you're awoken to the realization that it's now your turn to take care of the children. So I did just that. I, I, I meandered off of my bed and went to my son's room, and, and there he was crying as loud as can be, and I'm trying to panic in, in, in some ways to soothe him so that he doesn't wake up his, his younger brother, and I'm trying to comfort him and comfort him, and we have a sound machine in our bedroom, and I'm trying to bring his attention to the sound, and I'm just trying to love on this little guy and help him to realize that it's okay, buddy. It's okay, buddy. And as he finally calms down, I see his eyes dart off in the direction of the sound as he's first realizing, since he's been crying, that there's this beautiful noise coming out of this sound box, this beautiful child melody that is soothing and wonderful to hear. And in that moment, I had a thought, as most pastors do at 3 a.m., right? <laughs> and that thought is, is, isn't our lives much like that? Isn't our lives in some ways like that, where we're so busy with the noise of this world or the noise that we are making, and we're so loud and consumed by these things that, that speak into our minds and in our hearts that oftentimes we fail to hear God's voice in our lives, the voice that comforts us, the voice that speaks to us, the voice that ministers to our heart in our times of need. Well, Christmas is a reminder of us needing to take the time to listen to God's still and small voice. Because you see, so often we are bombarded by many things that try to distract us and take our minds off of the things of God and onto the situations of life. I think we all struggle with this in our lives, and especially we can struggle with it at Christmas, when in fact Christmas is meant to be the opposite of that. It's meant to slow us down so that we can remember and recognize God's great love for us. St. Augustine, I think, explained this very well in these words when he said this about our intentionality that we are to have when listening to God. And he said this, remember this, when people choose to withdraw far from a fire, the fire continues to give warmth, but they grow cold. When people choose to withdraw far from light, the light continues to be bright in itself, but they are in darkness. This is also the case when people withdraw from God. 
May this Christmas season be a season where you draw closer to God. In order to do that for today, I want to encourage you that if you have your Bibles, to open up to the book of 1 John. Not John itself, but 1 John. So this is a later letter from the Apostle John, the one that we know as whom Jesus loved. And we're specifically in 1 John. So that's towards the end of the Bible. In fact, you're going to find it towards the end, a few books before the book of Revelation. So if you've gone to Revelation, you're too far. It's just right after Peter. And in 1 John, we're going to be in chapter 4 today, and I'm going to read a few verses right now, and we're going to make our way through more as we go. But I'd like to read just a couple of verses to you, specifically verses 7 and 8. So if you're there with, uh, if you're there with me, just read silently as I read aloud. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from who? From God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Now, church, I have more to read here, but I just want to confess right now that that verse in itself should scare us in some ways, should it not? And I'll read it one more time. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. If you didn't know, the Apostle John, who wrote this letter, wrote it at a time in the church world that the church was in some ways arguing with each other. They were warring with each other, not physically, but more so in a battle of thought towards each other. You see, specifically, the church that John was writing to was the church in Ephesus. And this church is in modern-day Turkey today. And this Ephesian church, which we would later see in the book of Revelation as well, was struggling to come to grips with who Jesus was. And by no planning between Roger and I, I, I really appreciate the fact that Roger last week spoke specifically on the beauty of Christmas in the God-man, specifically that Jesus came into this world 100% God and 100% man. And this exact issue was what it was on display in the church of Ephesus, where they were failing to appreciate and see the true nature of who Jesus is. So John, in some ways, writes this letter in order to allow love to be a reminder of what unifies all of us as Christians. Because you see, it is easy easy for us as God's people to sometimes get distracted by the, particular, by the particularities of our own minds and thoughts that we fail to see the simple truth that God is calling us to. And what is that? To be people that are known by his love. I have a hard question to ask you, and it goes back to verse 8. Are you known to those around you as an individual who is able to demonstrate love to others. And I'm not just talking about the people in this church. I'm talking about when you're on the roads. I'm talking about when you're at a doctor's office. 
when you're talking to that wonderful person on a phone who's handling your account that you just called because they overdrafted you for no reason? (laughs) Are you known as a person of love? Or is love something that you only give if you receive it back yourself? Because as I read scripture, it reminds us that those who do not love do not know who? God. You see, Christmas is a reminder of God's love for us. In fact, Christmas is the fulfillment of a prophecy that existed hundreds of years ago before Jesus even came onto the scene. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 said this, and and hopefully this will be on the screen for you. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. And as we've talked about this word, Emmanuel, before, Emmanuel means what? God with us. No other faith out there communicates the humility, the love, the affection that God shows that he would be known, that one of the names of God would not be just God the, vengeful, the, God the vengeful king, God the slayer of people, but what? God with us. Think about that. God could have chosen any name to have been his name when he came into this world, but what name did he choose for himself? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Because God in his great love wanted to communicate his love for us. He did not choose a name that just spoke and spread the truth of him being the ruler of humanity or the most powerful. And yes, he is those things, but he specifically chose the name of Emmanuel so that we would be reminded that God is the kind of God that dwells with us. I have a question for you. Do you view God as Emmanuel? Or do you see God as a distant being out there? Someone who maybe has set this world into motion, but has kind of let things happen the way that it happens and really doesn't give a rip at our own situations? Or do you see God as the person who is with you? I want to encourage you this Christmas season to view God in this way, to realize that this is at the character and heart of God, but that oftentimes the only reason why we don't experience God's closeness in our lives is just like what I said earlier from that quote from St. Augustine, right? That we walk away from the warmth of the fire. It's not that the fire isn't still burning, it's that we become colder as we walk further away. 
May this Christmas season be a time where you walk closer to the fire so that you can feel all that God has for you, all the warmth that he wants for you. So again, in 1 John, he writes to his people to try to encourage this because you see, love is a very profound thing. You see, this world is oftentimes very confused in how to interpret and think of love. For most people, their definition of love is what I would call just an emotion or just some sort of contractual agreement of if you make me feel a certain way and I make you feel a certain way, then we'll maintain love. But as the minute that that is broken, then love no longer exists. And what a terrible thing to be selling to our world and to the generations that follow us. In reality, God wanted to demonstrate his love for us, not through just what he did, or pardon me, not through just what he said, but what, through what he did. We see this much in the scriptures that we're reading, and to read the verses that now follow from verse 8, it says this. God is love, is how it finishes in verse 8. In verse 9, it says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his son, his one and only son, into the world that we might live through him. We forget about that last part, don't we? We understand that God loved us, and maybe we've heard of John 3.16 before, or verses like this that remind us that God loves us, so he sends his son. But we so often forget that, that scripture not only calls us to recognize Jesus' love for us, but to do what? Be the kinds of people that love others through the love of Christ. As it says so plainly in verse 9 here, that he sent his son into the world that we might live through him. You see, Jesus is able to help us see the world that we live in through a new perspective. It's as if we all have in some ways poor vision and are finally given corrective lenses that we get to put on and see the world for what it is. That is what Jesus' love does for us. And in verse 10, it follows in saying this, that this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I didn't get to finish the series on Genesis because as you know, my wife and I, we land, found ourselves in the hospital when my youngest son had a really bad case of RSV. And I have that message already planned for the new year and you're gonna wanna listen to it because the end of this series in Genesis is a really powerful one. But just a little snippet of what some of that looks like is church, you have to see and you have to fully experience God's love in your life. And because here, here's the truth, is that God loves us so much that the minute 
that this world became broken by the sin of our foreparents, Adam and Eve, God devises a plan to be able to work all of these things together, to send a son into the world that we would know as Emmanuel, as Jesus, to live a life that we could not live For what purposes that through him, as the scripture tells us, that we can find atonement with God the Father. You see, this world is missing that picture. If you're seeing pictures in this world of just anger or bitterness, if you're seeing pictures of your own life of anger and bitterness, anxiety, a lack of peace, then what you are needing or what the world is needing more of is a picture of God in your life. I love how John tries to help us understand love. And you may have missed it within these three verses here from verse 8 to 10. But I want to show you how clever he is. Because I think it's easy to read these verses and think for ourselves that John is just unnecessarily repeating himself. So I'm going to read them once more. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So what does he do here? Well, in verse 8, he makes the claim, God is love. And we'll put this on the screen for you. God is love. But then he doesn't leave it just there. He helps us understand how love is defined. And he says, Verse, in verse 9, this is how God showed his love. And he talks about how Jesus is sent into the world. And then in verse 10, he reaffirms that this is what love looks like. If you want to understand what love looks like, you need to not look any further than in the person of Christ. That is the true portrait of love. And God is calling us to wear that portrait on our own lives. I may have shared this story before, but years ago, I read uh, a classic work of literature. Some of you may have read it yourself or seen a film on it. And it's the work of Oscar Wilde. He specifically wrote this, 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 uh, this fictional story called A Picture or a Portrait of Dorian Gray. And I could tell some of you have probably seen the movie or read the book, and I read the book, and it was an interesting book, not the kind of book I typically read, but a good one nonetheless, and uh, the way that this book is, tells this story is that there's this young man named Dorian. Now, this young man Dorian is in the prime of his life. He's a good-looking, handsome man, and everything in his life is just pointing to this youthful glee that he has in being so young and so full of energy. 
So Dorian gets his picture painted by a famous painter. And he paints the portrait of Dorian, and the realization happens that most likely every day after this moment, Dorian's life will get a little darker. That is, he'll begin to have maybe little wrinkles that show up. That youthfulness will start to topple into the other direction. So as the painter is painting his portrait, he makes a wish upon the painting, and he says to the group of people that are in audience with him, including Dorian, wouldn't it be nice if the age of our lives, or the age of your life, Dorian, is visible on this picture and not on yourself? So not realizing that this wish would come true, Dorian then lives a very terrible life, a violent life, a wicked life, one that is constantly filled with revenge and resentment. But what's interesting for Dorian is, is as he begins to commit all of these evil acts, he goes to the painting where he's in his prime beauty and he notices the painting begins to change. After he harms an individual, he notices a sly look change in his mouth and in his eyes. And as the years go on, he starts to realize that the wish of the painter became true. And all of the age and evil of Dorian's life are visible on the painting instead of himself. And Dorian continues to look youthful and vibrant when in reality the painting is the true picture of his wickedness. His face that everybody sees is but a deception to the world around him. I can't help but think, though, in listening to that story, how Christ, in some ways, is like that painting for ourselves. We're unlike Dorian, who is a wicked person. Christ is a righteous person, but yet Christ takes all of that unrighteousness. He takes all of that wickedness. He takes all of that sin in this world and in our lives, and he puts it upon our, on himself so that we to the world can look different. It's through Christ that we are changed. And it's through his love that we are to not only be changed, but be a light to others. This quote from Martin Luther strikes me as I think about this. That Jesus is the perfect portrait of love and the calling that we are to have in loving for others. And Martin Luther says this, Christ is the kind of person who is not ashamed of sinners, in fact, he even puts them in his family tree. Now if the Lord does not now if the Lord does that here, so ought we to despise no one. But put ourselves right in the middle of the fight for sinners and help them. This Christmas season, let it be a good reminder 
of God's love for you, but also the love that we are to demonstrate to others. Let your life be a portrait of God's love to others. So that when people draw closer to you, they could feel the warmth and the light of God through your life. But the only way that you can accomplish that, if you yourself are drawing closer to the warmth and the light of God. Because as his word tells us, if we are not demonstrating God's love to others, then the question must arrest us. And that is, do you even know God? I believe you do. And I believe that this message and this season will hopefully encourage you to live that love out to others. To paint a picture of God's love to the world through your life. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that your life truly is a portrait of love. That through everything you've done, even before you entered into this world, that you've worked on our behalf that you've worked through the brokenness, that you've worked through the fallenness, that in the words of Martin Luther, Lord, that you even have allowed the unrighteous to be a part of your family tree. Because you, unlike any other God out there, don't just say that you love us, but you demonstrate your love for us through the giving of your son. Christmas is a reminder of that, your love for us. I pray, Father, that as we are your sent people into this world, that you will help us paint beautiful pictures out of our own lives. Portraits of love that help people see the warmth and the light that you provide for each of us. Help us to do that, Lord. We confess that there are areas of our life that don't represent that portrait, that look differently than what you are calling us to. That if we were to view a true painting of our own lives, it would look much like Dorian's. But Father, we thank you that you take that picture and you put it upon yourself and you replace our unrighteousness with righteousness. I pray, Lord, that you would help grow our hearts in this area and give us the opportunities to demonstrate it to all those that need to know your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.